0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A's. It's been kind of a sad week, so I decided the best thing that I could probably do is something I almost never do, and that's just keep my mouth shut and let everybody deal in their own way. So I'm just going to power forward with the Q&A's, business as usual, and uh, just kind of start moving forward. First up, Nicole Express said they have a GSCART switch and have run out of spots on it. Are there any decent automatic basic SCART switchers that might be good for a daisy chain? I suppose I can get a second SCART switch, but I was wondering if there were any more affordable options, since all that extra circuitry and the second output on the GSCART would be wasted when just looking for a daisy chaining option. Yeah, so... The Otaku automatic switch that I reviewed a while back, I reviewed the 6-in, 3-out version, which performed really well as long as you didn't have any cables with sync strippers in it or daisy chain it with any kind of sync stripping solution, and PlayStation 1 had issues with mine, but overall it did perform well. And there is a 6-in, 1-out option. And I think that's the one that would probably be best for you. I think that's less than $70, so it would be less than 100 after shipping. Definitely less than that total. And I would just make sure that any cables that you have that need special features, so uh, Sync on Green, Component Video or anything that might have a sync stripper in it, you should probably remove that anyway, because in almost all cases, if uh, you would never need that in SCART equipment. But I would just make sure that anything that needs special treatment goes through the G-SCART and any basic SCART cable. So sync-on composite, sync-on luma, or sync-on C-SYNC with the correct voltage resistors and all of that. Put that through the Otaku. Um, I think you would want to be a little more careful of powering on more than one console at a time going through the Otaku. And I don't think that's going to be a huge deal, it's just one of those things where it's good practice, it's probably good practice with all switches, but yeah, overall that one seems like a great choice. The other option would be anybody that maybe has something like a GSCART Switch light that needed to purchase the newer one to have all of those extra features. So the original models of GSCART Switch, the one with a D sub output, you could pass through component video or sync on green if you use the port closest to the outputs, because that's what it would default to. The GSCART lights didn't have a default port. It would constantly sense for a signal and switch to that one, so it wouldn't just pass through signals it didn't understand. And then the newest ones can sense all of that stuff, so you could pass through in any port. It works fine. So I do imagine there's a bunch of scenarios which people have the lights, and they are already bought a new one to upgrade and are probably looking to get rid of those. I still think the Otaku one might actually be cheaper, so overall I would just look into that. Um, My review on the 6-in three out is, uh, I'll post the link to that. It's still a good switch, but I think the one for you is probably the six in one out. It actually has two outputs, but it's only one at a time. And depending on your setup and what cables you have lying around, you could either use RCA to SCART adapters, or just get like a really short shielded SCART cable. I think both major sellers have those, um, and that would be the best way to daisy chain them together. I actually have been thinking about doing something like a right angle adapter, which is a circuit board with two SCART plus going straight through so you could do stuff like daisy chain uh, without a cable so the least amount of interference but we haven't gotten around to that but i know who to bother to make one of those for us so uh you'll probably see something like that open sourced eventually but yeah i think the six in one out otaku is probably the best for you unless somebody's got a cheap gscart light laying around that they want to donate or something Gigi Gorgeous wants to know if I'm aware of any upcoming optical drive emulator for PlayStation 2 that will also support PlayStation 1. So, I don't know if anybody actively working on one. I know a few people who have discussed working on one, um, and they hadn't gotten around to it yet. So, last time I spoke to a lot of these people was quite a long time ago, so who knows? Maybe one is currently in development, but nobody's announced anything. There's nothing that I believe is in progress, but... It, Once one is made, it will play PS1 and PS2 ISOs the same as if it were an original disc. Uh, And I could speculate about that so confidently because of how ODEs work. You're emulating the drive array and the data that goes through it. So you could probably even use DVD ISOs through it and have an interesting way to play DVDs if you wanted to. That's speculation, but I... I'm pretty sure that's going to be the case. Um, Gigi also mentioned if Mr. gets PS1 support, I'd be fine with that. But if it doesn't, I hope an ODE solution becomes available as a fallback. I want both. Um, I think a PS1 Mr. Core would allow to do a lot of very interesting things that you may not be able to do on real hardware. And I think once you hit the generation of PlayStation 1, you're talking about consoles that have a very interesting way to emulate them with software emulation because you could do things like higher resolution rendering and blending and I'm really interested to see how that could be implemented through FPGA you're not going to be able to do a high resolution rendering I think but you might be able to do a lot of other neat things like blend the dither layer Um, a lot of things that you can't do on original hardware but that's still zero lag and all that stuff whereas you know using original hardware for the PS2 I don't think there's going to be any FPGA core for that for a while and while software emulation's gotten pretty good you still need a decently fast pc and you still need a pc hooked up to something whereas many people would just want to use their playstation 2s and use an ode so i like both solutions uh but i don't have any info on either of them so that was a a two-minute way of saying i don't know (laughs) Photosven was following up on the conversation about Game Boy Interface, 360p, getting different outputs. And this week's question is, they can't seem to find any info if the retro gaming cable's universal Nintendo Pack-a-Punch RGB SCART cable will work with the GameCube in PAL, or the PAL GameCubes in RGB mode. And uh, it would not do it in 360p mode, and I couldn't get it to work at all. And I think the issue is the word universal is really referring to Super Nintendo consoles and not the entire line of Nintendo multi-outs like the Rad 2X would have been. And the reason for that is because NTSC Super Nintendos, so Super Famicom, Super Nintendo, they all output sync on one pin of the multi-out. And PAL consoles, PAL Super Nintendos, output 12 volts. So if you're somebody that only has NTSC or only has PAL consoles, that doesn't mean anything. But if you're somebody who has a mixture of both and a mixture of cables, that means you could potentially be sending 12 volts from your PAL console into your SCART equipment, which obviously would, you know, that's not good at all. It'd probably kill it. So the universal part is here's one cable that could work on PAL and NTSC Super Nintendos completely safe in not only just the sync, but including on the video lines. The RGB lines require different resistors and capacitors depending on if you're going from PAL to NTSC. So the goal of that is one cable That works on all region Super Nintendos, and that's pretty much it. It may work on N64s, it did not work on my PAL GameCube, uh, and no NTSC GameCube outputs RGB anyway, so that's a moot point there. Um, Without a mod, of course, if you have a GC Video mod installed, it would, but if you had a GC Video installed, then you wouldn't need any of this stuff. So I just wanted to talk about that because I myself had forgotten. And when I ran a test on it, when went, oh, that's right. It's not for this purpose. It's really for Super Nintendos. So I should probably update the info on the, on the website just to make it a little bit more clear about that. But that's the answer to it. No. Um, if you do have a PAL GameCube and you get an RGB SCART cable designed specifically for that, which I believe both of the main cable sellers make, uh, and that's the one I used to test. That will work with Game Boy interface through the RetroTank 5X, but uh, that's just a different type of cable. So hopefully I pointed you in the right direction with the answer. Sam Hall said they're interested in getting an HD15 Discart to use with their mister, but wants to know if there's going to be any European distributors, because right now, if they order one from the US, the shipping is more than the cost of the product, which stinks, because that's kind of an unsolvable problem. But uh, I'm 99% sure European distributors are going to be carrying this. Uh, I think there there might be a few stores looking to carry it right away. Um, but at the very least, the moment these things start shipping, these files will be open sourced. So depending on your soldering skills, where you live in proximity to board manufacturers and in uh, part sellers and stuff like that, you could end up just making your own or anybody could manufacture these. And we talked pretty in depth about this when we did the open source podcast. But the short version for doing things like this is number one, if you create the project that you're open sourcing, you get to set the terms as well as when you open source it. Uh, So while this was certainly based off of other people's work, which were all credited and all of that stuff, um, the idea, the inception, the product, everything was just something that we'd been working on for a long time and finally got around to making it into something. Um, So the terms that we kind of figured were that The moment these things ship, that's when the open source files get released. And the reason for that is uh, we went into a lot more depth, but the, the short overview of that is people still get the project open sourced to make their own or make and sell whatever they want. But you don't have a situation like that notorious UK clone company grabbing these files, making a thousand of them as cheaply as possible and out of crap components, and then trying to undercut the people who are putting the time and effort into making good quality versions of this. So when that stuff happens, and it does... Everybody loses. You might think you're getting this thing that we took a lot of time to design and try to get it right. And you buy a piece of crap that falls apart in a week. You know, the people who invested money to make the good quality ones aren't going to sell as many because there's a cheaper option. And most people won't realize that they're a garbage option. You just see the thing that looks identical in the pictures. So that still might be a problem in the future. Six months from now, somebody might do that, manufacture a bunch of really, really crappy ones, and there's nothing you could do about that. But at the very least, it gives the people who invested the money and the time into making at least the first couple runs a chance to make their money back and not lose because they got undercut by some clone seller. So, you know, the the podcast we did went into a lot more details about that. But and I guess i shouldn't need to justify it here, but I felt like talking about it uh, so the short shorter answer to your question is i 'm pretty sure some European distributors that I work with um, that are are quality distributors. they take the time to make the products right um, it, you know even if they don't use the same run of production as the u s seller they're going to do it right so i'm pretty positive there's going to be European distributors for it, but even if there aren't right away, even if it's like a month long delay, the moment these Start to ship. The files will be available, and you could make the boards and assemble them. It actually is going to come out to about the same price because um, when you're buying in bulk, things are cheaper. So you're not really going to save any money or much money, unless of course you count the shipping from the U.S. Then you you would save money. Uh, but it's a fun project as long as you can handle soldering SMD components. Um, they're they're pretty small. I was able to do it, uh, but it's not the easiest project. So. Just keep all of that in mind. But, yep, hopefully there should be uh, UK distributors fairly soon for that. Josh Dilly said they'd like to set up their GameCube for use with their consumer-grade Sony CRT that has component video inputs but is only able, uh, able to accept up to 480i, not 480p. After reading through the GameCube page on RetroRGB, they got the impression that it wouldn't do them any good to use component cables since the CRT only accepts 480i. Could they go S-Video out to a component converter, or are they stuck with composite? Um, So there's a few answers to this. First of all, I'm sorry that the GameCube page might have been a little confusing. I should probably go back and reread that with fresh eyes to see. But the point I was trying to make is if you're going from a GameCube, especially an NTSC GameCube that doesn't have uh, RGB output, and you're going to a consumer-grade TV I wouldn't waste the money on some kind of GC video solution or original component video cables that still sell for a lot. I wouldn't spend the money on that when you're not going to get a huge jump over S-Video. So in the scenario that you have a Sony consumer-grade CRT with composite S-Video and component inputs, buying a $20 S-Video cable for your NTSC GameCube isn't really going to get any different than component video cables with 480i to that or any of the other solutions. So that's why. Um, Your component's still going to be a better signal, and it will give you the option to output 480p for other devices. Um, So that's kind of why I took that stance on it. Now, you asked the question, could I go S-video out to a component converter, or am I stuck with composite? That leads me to believe you have a TV that doesn't offer S-Video inputs, which is strange because most TVs I've seen that have component video inputs, most CRTs, also have S-Video. I don't ever remember seeing one that only has component and not S-Video. So I would just double or triple check, make sure, like, drop the uh, the door in front, uh, you know, the little front thing that usually has composite video and audio inputs, see if S-Video's in there. I would search for that first, and that would be the solution I would recommend because it's the cheapest by far. But if for some reason you need to go component video, you have two choices. You could go S video to component through the Core but I think a better solution in that case would be getting something like the Carby or the Prism, and then using one of those cheap HDMI to component video converters that I always, it's always the same ones I link to in the Amazon store and then making sure to set the GC video solution to 480i output, not 480p. And if you do it that way, you'll be able to run 240p and 480i into your consumer grade CRT, But now you also have the option, if you ever want to play on a flat panel or use it for streaming or something, but now you also have the option of just using the HDMI output of that. So it's going to basically turn into a dual-purpose device if you have another use for it. If you're only plugging it into your CRT, though, it's still going to be about the same price as getting an S-Video cable and a Koryu, but I think it, it would probably be the better solution just because you have options in the future for that stuff. So hopefully I answered the question and didn't make it any more complicated, but yeah, that's what I would suggest. Either find an S-Video input on your TV or get Carby or Prism, whatever's in stock, uh, in one of those cheap HDMI to component converters and set it to 480i. And now you have a device that works in component video on your consumer-grade TV, and you could always just change it to 480p mode and use it on a flat panel. Dave Eli was following up with our conversation from last week, talking about using a higher amperage power supply for the mister. And... I asked why they were looking for a higher amp power supply, and the answer is, on all their misters, they have every usable USB port filled. That includes wireless controller dongles, Wi-Fi adapters, and an external USB powered hard drive. So that's the hard drives that are powered off the USB cable, not their separate AC adapters. If Dave uses a 2 amp power supply, some devices just don't work right, usually the hard drive, and sometimes others don't initialize. And here's the other issue. With some of the other 4-amp power supplies they've tried from Amazon, they drop well under 5 volts in higher load situations. What they found is that Wi-Fi becomes highly unreliable and pretty much unusable when that happens, which may also explain the behavior I experienced with the inline power switch. Once power drops below 4.95 volts, you could say goodbye to Wi-Fi. They got their triad today, and it doesn't seem to have those drops, so they're expecting a reliable experience with it. Great To know all of that and that all makes absolutely perfect sense so this is the scenario in which you would either want a higher amperage reliable power supply or you would want a powered usb hub with its own separate power supply Um, either would be a good solution i think this triad solution is going to be good and the voltage drop thing is something i've run into before especially with those wireless dongles and i had a brand new one die on me after using it in a scenario which the voltage was lower than five volts. Now, of course, that could be just a defective one from the factory that would have died no matter what I plugged it into. Um but that you know maybe it was a coincidence or maybe not. But I do I, I have seen issues with things that drop below five volts with wi-fi dongles and definitely hard drives as well so the triad should be a good solution it should stay solid at its voltage Uh, the four amps should be a a solid reading as well so let me know if you have any other issues but that should definitely be a good solution for anybody plugging a whole bunch of stuff into their mister to try to power off of that Um, and once again if you have any doubts about this stuff grab a really good quality usb hub and use that one a usb hub with its own ac power and that would certainly be a good way to guarantee that as well yeppo said they're looking for an hdmi to scart converter to play movies on pal crts they'll be getting a well-shielded scart to scart cable to connect it but there seems to be only one type of device on amazon that converts hdmi to composite would that be okay for movies or should they use something else and if so what um, so I would use the cheapest device on Amazon for movies. Yes, it's going to be laggy. Yes, it's only going to output 480i and not 240p, but neither of those things matter at all when you're talking about just watching movies. Um, you'll probably get some interlaced flicker because you're downscaling from progressive But that doesn't really matter because that's how movies would have probably looked anyway on a CRT. So the cheapest solution should be fine. Uh, You mentioned HDMI to SCART and then you mentioned HDMI to composite. Uh, If you're specifically looking for HDMI to RGB, you might have to look around and try to find whatever's available for you in Europe. But if you're watching movies, composite video through movies on a CRT is its own experience. I would be totally okay with that especially because if it was something super sharp that looked perfect on a flat panel, you'd probably watch it on a flat panel. But if you're talking old TV shows, old movies with lots of film grain, composite on a CRT and 480i is fine, and it should be a good experience. So my recommendation is, yeah, it'll be fine for movies, and buy the cheapest one possible, and go from there and see what you think of it. Uh, another question from Yeppo. Now that they have an EverDrive N- N8, they tend to leave it in their front loader NES all the time. Is the car- Is this a bad idea because the cartridge tray has a spring? I've never really gotten a good answer on that. Um, one could argue that leaving it in all the time will lower the tension on the springs. One could uh, also say that constantly inserting it and removing it might cause more wear and tear on an older console. I don't honestly know what the answer is. I can tell you that I leave mine in all the time, but that's usually because I have no space to put anything else. So if the EverDrive could fit in the console, that's where it stays. Um, But I don't have a solid answer on that one. And if anybody has some scientific info on it, you know, not my neighbor when I was five years old told me it was a good idea. Like some actual scientific info, I'm all ears on that one. Red Crested Briegel said they're using a non-powered manual RCA switch box to route the audio between two sources and their speakers, and they want to know if they're losing out on audio quality or anything by using one of these. And generally speaking, in the case of mechanical switches like this, so you press a button and it switches to input 1 and turns off input 2, and you press that button again and it turns off input 1 and turns on input 2, reverses it, If you don't have any problems with your current setup, it's fine. So there's no circuitry to worry about. So there's no safety issues. Um, You know, there's not a lot of the stuff that you would have to worry about with video signals and that stuff. The only thing is, if the mechanical switch is built badly, you might get a hum or a buzz, or you might get crosstalk between the two signals. So you could still, if both are powered on, you might still hear one and not, you know, as, as well as the other, or something like that. But those are usually pretty terrible, so if you're happy with this switch in its current form, it's probably perfectly fine to use. Now, any audiophiles listening are going to surely remind us in the comments that every single device that you add to any analog signal could potentially lower the quality of that. But once again, usually when something is designed properly, like you know a good switch... You don't notice it at all. You would have to use analyzing software to see a difference. And even then, there's no real-world performance difference whatsoever. So while I wanted to give you a little bit more info as to what my answer is, the honest answer is just if it works for you and it's not causing any buzz and you don't have any complaints, it's probably a perfectly good solution that you never have to worry about. Lily Larceny wants to know if there's an open-source flex cable for the 7000 series PS2 motherboards that could tap the IDE pins that are still on the board. All the projects they found that used to sell kits for it have dried up. They know they could solder individual wires to the board, but it would sure be a lot cleaner if they could find an open-source design of a flex cable that aligned with all the points and have a short run and just tack it down. Uh, I agree 100% that would be an awesome thing, but I have no clue if any of that stuff exists. So I would like to politely defer to anybody listening. Uh, if you know of a project like this, could you please post the link in the comments, um, or or at least post a link to something pertaining to information around this. It's something that I think would be great for all the reasons you just mentioned, um, and it's really helpful for people that want to add a hard drive to a PS2 Slim. So uh, anybody that has any info on that, please chime in. Ray Sarone said they were looking to swap out the voltage regulator on their Super Nintendo in order to help for the white line fix, and it looks like the part that I've listed was discontinued. Um, so I just uh, I'll put a link in the description to OctoPart.com. I'm pretty sure you could still find that exact one at some stores still in stock, and we would need to determine a replacement. But very often with stuff like this. The changes are in the manufacturing, and they have to list it as a new part number for a million reasons, but it's the same, if not better, performance. And we already went through this once when we first determined this part, the original one that we had used. So this is a 78S05, and the 7805s are getting hard to find if not completely discontinued. So we were nervous about switching over to this part, but it performed equal to or better than. So I'm assuming the same thing is going to happen now. We're going to find instead of a 78S05, it might be a G05 or something. I I don't know. I'm making that up, but I'm sure there's going to be a replacement part for this voltage regulator that's the same, if not better, because this is a part that was used in just millions of products. So so the part itself isn't going away it just might be a different revision so i left a link to octopart which would allow you to find different alternatives to buy this exact same one uh, and you're right we uh you know we're we in the retro gaming community are probably going to need to do some research buying another one and testing it but at this point if the voltage is stable it doesn't drop and the temperature is the same it should be should be perfectly safe to use uh, and of course the same pinout but i, I doubt they would make it, I doubt they would change the location of ground and, and power. So um, good question. I'll drop a link for the temporary solution, and then hopefully we could, uh, we could get permanent stuff like this up on the wiki when that comes, which should actually be somewhat soon. Um, we could really all just chip in and help with this stuff, and anytime a part goes out of stock or, or discontinued, we could determine a new one, list the info, list our test data as to why it's okay, and go from there. Earth to Brucks has a couple of questions. First, they seem kind of bummed out that the SSD S3 is being replaced with the HD version with more features uh, because it's going to be more expensive now. And I would have to respectfully say that you're looking at this from the wrong way completely. Um, you shouldn't be upset that the old one's getting discontinued for a better, more expensive one. You should be happy that you could now purchase used ones from people who want these newer features that you don't need and save a ton of money. Uh, we've all had a weird week, so I'm certainly not shaming you for being negative or anything like that, uh, but I definitely think you're looking at this the wrong way. you gotta, you got to look at the positive side of this and say, um, cool, this new one doesn't have any feature that I care about, but that means that I can grab an old one off of somebody in the retro gaming community for quite a discount and everybody wins somebody gets to some more money back towards their new purchase you get to save some cash and you get all the features you want so um yeah definitely look into that the actual questions you had do you think we might ever see a different pc engine optical drive emulator uh we already have the upper graphics and to be Polite but blunt, I didn't like it. I thought it was really confusing to use. A giant pane to get images on there. Um, and it was more expensive, and still is more expensive, than the SSD S3 HD, at least the last time I checked. So, there are other options, but there's nothing... Uh, Nothing in a different price point. I hope to see that at some point, but um, just because I like options and I'm always curious to see what other features people come up with, but the only other really accurate ODE would be the mister. Uh, And I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, But your last question, barring an ODE solution, you've heard that playing burned discs can uh, decrease the life of CD drives, but the slower the write speed of the disc burner, the better for your console. So there's a lot into this. Uh, We've discussed this a bunch of times over the years, and I think the best answer is just the shorter one, in that using burned discs is never going to be as good as using the original, and it will wear out your laser faster. But if you have a really good quality, something like a Tayo Yudin CD, and you have a really good quality old Plexdoor burner, and you burn it at a slow speed, it will be less detrimental so I don't know if you're a car person but like if you drive your car on the highway and you leave it revved halfway while you're on the highway the car will last a long time and if you you know if you have it redlined it won't last nearly as long and somewhere in between it'll probably be fine it will lower the life of it but not nearly as much as going crazy and that's the same thing with this if you use junk one penny a piece cds burned at 52x uh, it's gonna stress the laser and if you use really good ones, it's not going to be as good as the original. But what you're asking is a very expensive solution. You have to find a really good Plexdoor burner. Uh, and then you'd also have to find the Tayo Yudin CDs, which it's getting to the point where they're really hard to find. And some of the ones that are branded that or labeled that in the listing aren't real. They're clone CDRs that maybe they're fine, maybe they're not. I have no idea. So... Uh, using that as an alternative is probably not something you would want to do if you're worried about extending the life of your original console. And then I do want to circle back to the mister for a minute. Um, I love original hardware. I, I think that owning original hardware, if it's something that you enjoy, can be really important. And even the act of putting your original disc in or putting your original Hue card in and flipping that switch, that means a lot to some people who really want that experience. And on the other hand, some people want an accurate experience because they can tell the difference, but they don't care how they get there. They just want to have it. And I do think situations like this might bring up the fact of If you want to keep your original hardware and your original discs and you want it to last a really long time, but you also want the option to play a whole bunch of other stuff, looking into getting a Mr. and a controller adapter might be cheaper than any of the solutions I talked about, depending on what you need to get with it. Um, And you're going to have a really accurate playing experience. So that's something to consider because it's kind of the best of both worlds. You have the mystery where you have all of your games. You don't need to worry about um, any extra devices or wearing out your original, but you still have your originals for when that is important to you. And if you get a controller adapter, you could even use your original controllers. So uh, that's not what I'm telling you to do. I am just offering that up as another option. Um, if cost is important and you just want to make sure to have a different perspective on this, you could think about that as well. So... Hopefully I was able to steer you in the right direction, um, but I think there's just so many good options these days for PC Engine stuff that we're lucky that we, ha- we get the option to pick and choose. Jason Guffey's got a whole bunch of questions. I'll try to get through all of them properly. Uh, first, we talk a lot about the importance of quality analog cables. How much does this matter for digital cables like HDMI or DisplayPort? Should I be going out of my way to use more expensive quality brands, or are cheap cables generally Okay. That usually depends on resolution. If you're running four eighty p, you're probably not going to ever see a difference. If you're running four K sixty or four K one twenty, older cables, older HDMI cables, just won't work. So you're going to want to check the specs Uh, and. Your next question, speaking of that, is there a tool or some way of knowing the speed or bandwidth of an HDMI cable without a label like ultra high speed? Like if you're at a buddy's place helping them hook up some cables and they just have a mess of unmarked generic cables, is it a matter of just trying them to see what works? I, that's what I do. But it got to the point where it was so frustrating that I took every HDMI cable I owned, put them in a bag and handed it to a friend and said, here's some free HDMI cables. Do whatever you want with them. Uh, because what I would find sometimes is that I would plug these cables in and then I would sit down and it would seem to work and then I would get signal dropouts or I would it would work for like a half hour and then I'd get these weird speckles on the screen and then the signal would drop out. So but once again, this is only with 4K. This certainly wasn't with the other ones. Um I guess maybe 1080p 3D movies I would occasionally have issues, but that was only the first time I ever tried it, and I had some junky cable from, you know, from who knows how long ago. So... HDMI cables are so cheap nowadays, relatively speaking, that if you have something that's 4K60 or 4K120, check out my Amazon links, pick up the the cable that I'm using to hook up this camera right here that's dangling in front of me. It looks like a candy cane. Um, That seems to have worked fine for me. I do sometimes get dropouts with my Apple TV on my C6 OLED, the 2016 OLED. um, But it doesn't happen that often. And it's, I don't think it's the cable. I think it's just the handshake and a five-year-old TV. So I would just, if it's something that you know is important to you, like a 4k thing or, or your main gaming station or your main TV, I would just spend the eight bucks on a brand new cable. But if you're just hooking up things like a Carby that outputs 480p or the, you know, anything like that, just try it and see what happens and you should be fine. Uh, A last question on cables, they found a bin of cheap cables, including some that have digital connectors on one end and analog on the other. So think VGA to HDMI or VGA to mini DisplayPort. So depending on the device, some devices support custom stuff like that. The same exact way we built that SCART to DVI analog converter. There was no digital signal, It was using the DVI-A ports. There was no device ever made that has a DVI port that accepts 240p. Except the DataPath Vision cards and uh, the Epifan card that I was using, so we made that custom and we chose the DVI connector really to scare people off because we, you know, this was a device that was supposed to be meant with capture card or supposed to be made for capture cards. So we didn't want people thinking that they had any other uses on them, uh, and that could be the same. There could be some projector that accepts that, or or some kind of PC solution. And generally speaking, I would never use one of those unless you knew exactly where it came from and what the purpose of it was. Uh, Same thing with the SCART to DVI. Now, the lucky part is if you just used a DVI digital cable to plug that into a TV, nothing would happen because no signals were connected. So no harm would be done. But I don't know about these. So I I would... if you're like me and you hoard cables, I'd put them in a bin with like a, some tape on it, marked "Do Not Use" or you know, backup cables, used for parts or something like that. But I certainly wouldn't plug them in and just see what happens because you don't know what the pinouts are. Uh, on a different topic, it's cool how the RetroTink Five X can accept composite over SCART. How common is this, and which other devices support this feature? PAL TVs are, I think, the the number one device that you would see that uh you know the latest g scart switch should be able to do that i think all of them should have been able to do that as well because it just passes it you obviously would then have to turn sync strip off of that you know no sync gen- regeneration the sync stripper off on older models um, but that should pass it through in any manual scart switch because that's just passing that's just a, a pin switch that's not converting anything uh, the OSSC does not, and the RetroTINK 2X SCART does not. So both of those devices only accept RGB over SCART, not composite video. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's kind of a, a neat a neat feature, especially if you have sync-on composite SCART cables, because now you have the option of both. Um, so You also asked, since the adapter isn't an active converter, the device itself needs to be ready to accept composite video, right? yes that's i just wanted to confirm that's the short way of saying what i just word vomited uh lastly they want to know about that kick-ass metroid poster i found that online a long time ago it's probably out of the shot now i'm sorry i don't want to mess with the camera but um it's basically just somebody's recreation of one of the original metroid posters and i i always thought it was cool i love it in the background no matter where i move to or where i go that thing is coming with me and a really awesome zelda uh, Zelda link to the past from an original nintendo power uh, magazine cut out my friend made me that's in the other room um he He used to work at a framing shop, so it's it's beautifully done. Those are both going in wherever I move. Um, But the question actually is, any thoughts on the Metroid 5 Dread reveal? I hated that. uh, I forgot what it was called, but you had to press the trigger button on the 3DS version of, uh, I think it was Samus Returns. and I think they called it the parlay shot or something like that. I hated that game mechanic so much. Um, partially because of how you have to hold the 3DS. I got kind of bigger hands, so that's weird. But um, holding the 3DS in that position annoyed me. Maybe if it was on like a Super Nintendo-style controller, I wouldn't mind it at all. But that really took away from the game for me, and it seems like it's going to be a big part of this. So if that's required to play the game... I'm probably going to hate it, uh, even though I love 2D Metroids. But I've played through all the 2D Metroids many times in my life, and I've played through Samus Returns once because I just couldn't deal with that. So I'd probably play it, I'd probably enjoy it for what it was, but... Uh, if if that's a main part of the game mechanic that's just weird to me and I just don't, I don't like it and that's not me being a grumpy old man that doesn't want to change there's plenty of new features I've seen in games that I enjoyed and I thought added to it and especially features that you're not really required to use all the time maybe there's a new slide feature that can get you underneath a couple of obstacles but you're not using it every time you shoot whereas it really felt like that at some point in Samus Returns that I was just continuously having to use use that feature so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it Uh, lastly got any other cool or fun Metroid related stuff out there Um, no I I think that's pretty much it I think I have that I think I might have a Metroid 2 poster as well but it's all the same thing it's all stuff I found on eBay actually of people recreating the originals in really high quality prints and then uh, I usually have those framed That one I think is a cheap $5 frame I got from Walmart. And then the other one I just explained is, you know, a really nice fancy one that kind of looks neat. So uh, I think I got to all your questions, but if I missed any, please ask again next week. Juan Miguel Romero Ventosa has a bunch of consoles. They want to connect to a flat panel via scaler, and they want to try to route it through an automatic SCART switch. And I'm going to try to answer this question, but it's going to get complicated for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the consoles that Juan listed are 240p and 480i consoles like PS1, Super Nintendo, and 64, but there's also 480p compatible consoles on the list, PS2, GameCube, Wii, Wii U, and Dreamcast. So, if you really wanted to get the best quality out of all of these, you're going to have to go a, a specific route to get there. And that's for the best quality, that's not just to make it work, so I'll back up to that in a moment. But if you would then need a solution that accepts all different signals through it. Uh, and you would probably want to go composite or component through all of that just to make it easier to route all through one switch and not have to, have to buy multiple switches through that. So I would, in that case, recommend the G-Comp switch because it's got the three connectors for component video two connectors for RCA audio, and also one connector for composite video. So you could mix composite and component through there. You could also technically mix uh, RGBS through there as well with a custom cable, but I don't want to get too complicated here. So going through something like that into the tink 2XM, the multi-format, would handle absolutely all of those things. The Super Nintendo might not look as good because of the M's scaling, but the rest of the consoles will. Um, and you would most importantly be able to set them, set the GameCube Wii, Wii U, and Dreamcast to 480p and go from there. Dreamcast is going to be iffy because the HD RetroVision component cables aren't out yet, but you could always just use composite video to start and upgrade later on. And same thing with the rest of those. You could use the HD RetroVision cables or you could use uh, just a composite video cable, and that would be your automatic solution for all of those things. Um, it should work. It should work fine. The other thing you could do is a RetroTink 5X, which would allow even more options for all of those, the best scaling for all of them, and you could have it all connected. Uh, I I think you should be able to have it all connected at the same time. You would just just want to route composite video through one of the component ports on the Switch to have it automatically go through, and then you would just want to switch the inputs on the RetroTink 5X. So now that's all getting a little complicated. Um, you might still have to do some switching. You might have to figure out how to wire the, G, the G-Comp correctly. Another thing you could do is just use composite video for all of them. You would not get 480p, which is kind of a big deal if you're going to a flat panel, but then you could just use composite video for everything. Um, and you could either use a mix of composite over uh, over SCART and RCA connectors with something like a G SCART and those cheap RCA to SCART connectors, but if you're mixing RGB and composite, then you would probably want to do everything into a SCART switch into the RetroTink 5x because that accepts both composite and RGB over SCART and go through from there. So. Um, Your setup is not going to be easy because you're mixing signals, uh, meaning 240p, 480i, and 480p. So you're mixing 15 kilohertz and 31, but you're also mixing output cables, composite, possibly SCART, possibly component. So you need to really kind of step back and analyze everything, decide how much you want to spend, decide which are your favorite consoles, and then kind of choose the solution from there. Um, If you're not really sure and you just want to get started buying a retro 2x mini and just using whatever cables you already have and connecting one at a time might be a perfectly good solution for you just because it's going to get you in it's going to get you gaming for the cheapest amount possible but if you know right away that you're going to want to mix those other signals in you're going to want to get the higher quality from them You're gonna wanna just kind of research the RetroTink 5X and, and kind of see where you're going from there. So I'm really sorry. I wish there was an easy answer to all of this. If this was in, if you're talking HDMI consoles, that would be different. Be like, okay, well, you know, this, you know, get this scaler coming up next year, get, you know, get this switch, and you're good to go. But you're mixing a lot of different signals here. So I think you're just going to need to do a little bit more research. Check out some of the videos I've done. Check out the some of the guides on the site and kind of decide what's the best solution for you. Kirk had a Sega Saturn that just shut off while it was running. They unplugged it, waited a while, plugged it back in, and it worked again and then shut off again on its own. So, they opened it up and didn't find any bulging or leaking capacitors on the power supply, but they ordered a new PSU, hoping that would be the fix. Any other suggestions or input? Well, you definitely started in the right spot. That sounds like power to me. The first thing I would have done is ordered a recap kit for that exact power supply and tried that just because of cost. Uh, if you ordered a completely new PSU, that should be fine as well. Um, I hope you ordered one of the, either an original one that somebody was selling on eBay, or a known good replacement one, because there are some pretty bad ones out there, like the Pico PSU replacements. There's some good ones, and there's not some not good ones. So you would have to figure out which is which. Um, I think I talked about that a few times. There may even be links on Retro RGB for the good ones. But power is absolutely the first thing. And the capacitors or very likely a problem. I would also, since you already have it open, uh, just kind of take a look at it. Um, If it's dusty, hit it with some compressed air. Visually look at everything. If you have a magnifying glass, even better. See if capacitors have any kind of funk underneath them on the board. And it could be that there's other stuff wrong with with your Saturn. Maybe it does need a full recap. Maybe a chip's going bad, but... Either way, I would have told you the first thing to do is fix the PSU and see what happens. And if you replace the PSU or you replace the caps and everything's working perfectly, I would at some point talk to a pro about recapping the whole thing, but you should be fine. So a visual inspection couldn't hurt, uh, but if swapping the PSU works, you should be okay with that. Well, that's it for this week. I hope all my answers came out positive cuz I really meant them that way. I think I was still just uh, upset from everything that happened last week and on top of that, I have a thermometer I keep in here just out of curiosity. I sometimes use it for thermal testing and it's reading 91 degrees Fahrenheit right now. So, I imagine if anything came out grumpy it was cuz I was hot and grumpy. So, uh, hopefully nobody interpreted it that way. I always try to I mean, I'm almost always 100% positive and when I'm not, I try to be very clear about my intentions, which usually Aren't that bad. So, anyway, I hope this all came out okay. Um, For anybody new to these Q and A's, any questions at all that you have, please ask them in the latest Q and A post, wherever it is that you support. The way these services work, I can't really figure out what are new questions on old posts. Plus, I I really enjoy just scrolling through and reading them in real time. So, any questions you got, just put them wherever it is that you support on the latest Q and A post. So that's it for this time, and thank you so much for everybody that uh, participates, that supports in any way possible, because it's what's keeping all of this alive. So thanks a lot, and I'll see you next week.